1: Aren't you interested in learning breakthrough wealth building strategies, such as how to flip a home in less than two weeks using other people's money with no real estate license, or how to build a low-cost home-based business? You can discover how to take passive income from any source and invest it into real estate, stocks, or business to become financially independent investing in any market with Residual Roads Business Institute. Collaborate with Andre and other Residual Roads advisors to create a free action plan and start implementing strategies today go to www.residualroads.com or email info at residualroads.com. Welcome to the Investing Uncensored podcast. You've been searching for different ways to become financially independent or generate passive income to live out your life's purpose as you've seen others do it, but need insight on how. Well, get excited because here you'll discover the tips and resources to fulfill that need. Andre Stewart has spent more than a decade successfully making it happen for himself and others. This is the Investing Uncensored podcast. And now here's your host, Andre Stewart.
2: Welcome to another episode of Investing Uncensored. I'm your host, Andre Stewart. And today I'm happy to bring you guys a great guest. His name is Chris Miles. He has some good experience as a previous financial advisor, but he's also going to talk to us about why he's anti-FA and he you know what like he did, he did something cool. He got out of a million dollars worth of debt before the last recession, I believe that's how it goes. So Chris, how you doing man?
3: Man, I'm doing great, Andre. Just so excited to be here.
2: Man, thank you for coming on. I'm excited to hear your story about a million dollars worth of debt is a lot and for you to get out of it right before the recession. I think that's pretty interesting. But first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what made you become anti FA.
3: Yeah, you know, I I started out like everybody else in a lot of ways where I didn't really have a lot of, you know, a lot of education about money. I was raised by hardworking parents that taught me good values. But the one thing they really didn't know well was money. Mm. I remember, you know, my dad talking to us about stuff, saying like, man, we can't afford this. What do you think? Money grows on trees. We're not made of money, you know, and he'd say all that kind of crap that you grow up with. Right. We can't afford this. Even the worst one was he would say things like, I'm going to work my job until I die. In fact, my job will kill me. Wow. I said, all right, well, I don't I want that, that. life. Uh-huh. So I vowed as you know, any teenager, not to become like your parents, Correct. vowed to do my own thing. So while I was going to college, right before I was about to graduate with my bachelor's, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur of some hmm. sort. And especially I was going to be doing business consulting. So I thought, well, if I'm going to do business consulting, shouldn't I have business experience? Correct. So I dropped out of college with one class to go. Just took it was supposed to be a one-year sabbatical to go be an entrepreneur somehow. <laughs> and the first thing that came up was becoming a financial advisor. And I thought, okay. well, this is cool because not only do I learn how to be a business owner, but this is a commission-only type thing that way, but I can also learn about money. Maybe it can help me and especially maybe it can help my dad get some of his life back. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And in fact, I stayed dropped out, never went back to college again. And I went down that path. I was actually a financial advisor for four years. Okay. And after some time, my dad started asking me for advice rather (laughs) than him telling me all the things. He's always telling me things like save everything, right? That's all he'd say. Save everything, pay off your debt. He was like Dave Ramsey's older brother that Dave Ramsey would look up to, you know? So I sat down with him. He says, all right, Chris, I'm 61 years old. I want to retire at some point. Mm -hmm. What can we do? Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at his numbers. I said, dad, I'm going to be straight with you because he's perfectly blunt all the time anyway. So I said, I'll be straight with you, dad. Let's just hope you die in five years if you try to retire today because that's how much money you have left. (laughs) <laughs> understand he did everything right. Everything that we taught as financial advisors, he saved a whole bunch of money, was pumping money in his 401k, giving mm-hmm. the match. He had paid off his house early. He was debt-free. He was so proud of that. He was doing everything right. Mm-hmm. Yet it wasn't enough. And he's like, well, that's not what I want here, Chris. Like, tell me something different here. You mm-hmm. know, give me an answer. And I said, I don't have one. You mm-hmm. basically did everything a financial advisor teaches. Yeah, And that bugged me. It bugged me so badly. And when the student's ready, the teacher appears. That's when I started to wonder, like, well, is there an answer to this? Like, how could I help him have some freedom? And that's about the that time I started meeting guys that are doing real estate investing and things like that, doing more alternative investments. They weren't in the stock market. In fact, they made fun of the stock market. They made fun of financial advisors. They thought they were a bunch of idiots. And these guys, some of them were in their 20s and 30s, already retired. They were already financially dependent. I
0: crazy. said,
3: okay, I got to know what these guys know. Mm-hmm. And so eventually, what happened is in 2006, I started to learn what they did. I quit being a financial advisor because I couldn't stay in integrity and still keep teaching stuff that I knew Mm -hmm. did not work because it didn't just work not work for my dad, but all of my clients, all Mm -hmm. of them I looked at, and all the other financial advisors' clients were in the same boat. They were all afraid of running out of money. Mm -hmm. And I realized I was in that same boat. As a financial advisor, I was on the same stupid path as my own clients, (laughs) realizing, wait, this is the insanity. Why would I keep doing the same thing? And so when I saw there was a whole different path and it actually worked, I left the other one. I said, I'm done with financial advising. Never do that again. Became a real estate investor. Mm. I I was 28 right before the recession. And then, of course, you know, I was like, crap, 28 years old, almost 29. I'm financially independent. What am I going to do with my life? And Mm. that's kind of where I started to come out to do what I love, which is teaching and and coaching and guiding people.
2: So then when you were a financial advisor, did you work at like Northwestern Mutual, Edward Jones, or where were you working at?
3: Yeah, it was like a securities firm. Okay. You know, maybe. so I was working at a firm like that. And uh yeah, I did insurances, <laughs> I did mutual funds up until like 2005 when I realized mutual funds suck. You know? <laughs> so and, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they weren't getting the returns I thought they would get, right? Because you talk about returns of like, oh, you make 12% over the long haul, right? And the truth is you don't. I it mean, may- maybe like four, years, right? Depending on what time frame you look at. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. If you look at like 20 years, it's closer yeah. to four or five percent. Yep. If you look at a 30 year average, because you had the 90s involved a little bit, right? There was a big boom there. It's like 7.7% is the SP average right about now, mm-hmm. not 10, 11, 12% like they claim. Like they claim. And, exactly. and that's just some of the things I sort of learned before I left is that mm-hmm. I realized, like, wait a minute. You know, people tell you put away for the long haul. Well, what if the market goes down? How long does your long haul become, right? Exactly. Or are you waiting for it to come back up? That's what happened to my dad. You mm-hmm. know, so after Y2K, that I was meeting with him as a financial advisor. And he was trying to get it back up again, you know. And mm. it was, it was, it was ridiculous. And, and telling you to pay off your debt and get debt free. Well, okay. Well, that's not. doesn't help if you have this dead equity in your house. Could we do something with that and make more money with it? Exactly. You know? All these things that that really is just not answered with financial advising. It's really. It's kind of like Mexican food. If you can think about. <laughs> I, now, don't get me wrong. I like hey, Mexican, Mexican food, food is good food. though, but. <laughs> It is. But think about how simple Mexican food really is, right? Like it seems so grand, but in truth, it's really the same stupid ingredients for everything on that list. They just Mm. just package it a little bit differently. The taco is basically just a burrito open, right? (laughs) You know, you look at nachos, it's just chips with a taco on top, you know, (laughs) it's just the same. Fajitas, doesn't matter what you look at. Enchiladas, it's all the same crap. All (laughs) packaged differently, given different names. And so you make it think think for this massive menu, but in truth, you're just getting the same ingredients packaged differently. That's financial advising, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, sure, it could be yummy, you know, but in truth, (laughs) like it's really just insurance and mutual funds and and annuities and like a blend between them. I think the benefit of a
2: financial advisor and, and you can see from the test of this because I did something like that. too. I worked at Northwestern Mutual and it's, it's really the same thing, right? So I think one of the things you do learn, you do learn a little bit more about finances, right? And the average person doesn't have the time to go out there and do what they do. They don't make the time for it. So it's just easier. It's like a scapegoat to get a financial advisor to say, hey, I got a financial advisor. They're giving me 6% or whatever the case is that they say. I think it just, it takes the guessing out of the work of someone who really doesn't want to put in the work. But yeah, in all actuality, like if you take the returns that an F.A. is going to give right now and inflation is like 17 or 18 percent, you're actually losing money going with the F.A. I was talking to my mom about this this morning. Someone at her bank, a financial advisor was like, hey, you should come over here and I can do this. But I told her, if you go into this real estate deal with me, I'll give you 35 percent. She will never make 35 percent with a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. But if you give me 15 or 20 grand and I give you 35 percent, that's going to be way more than you would make in 10 years. If you went with a financial advisor, you want doing a mutual fund or something like that.
3: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I got kind of in a pissy mood late last summer, to early fall, and so on my own podcast, I have a Money Ripples podcast that I have, and uh, mm. on my own podcast, I started doing like the case against you know mutual funds and things like right. that, right? And and I even tried to do like a court case because think about it, in court, you got to have some sort of evidence, right? You got to have witnesses, exactly. you got to have something like that, and I said. Well, let's look at it. What's the evidence that what financial advisor have been offering with mutual funds and doing the 401ks and all that kind of stuff? Let's see if there's any evidence that's actually worked. There should be case studies. There should be mm-hmm. real eyewitnesses, you know, people <laughs> experiencing this freedom. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny because when you look at it, you know, the numbers, the numbers don't add up, especially right. like you mentioned inflation, even if inflation is not even close to as high as what right. we know it is, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it's in, somewhere in between what the Fed say it is, which is crap, and then what <laughs> you know, some people on the extreme might say it is, Mm -hmm. if you go in the middle, if you say it's only 5%, you still lose. Like you do not have enough money to live on. In fact, if you factor inflation taxes, everything else, whatever you save into a 401k every year is exactly what you'll live on after inflation lifestyle wise. So if you're max funding your 401k at 20,000 a year, guess what? In the end, you're going to be pretty much living on Twenty thousand a year, if you don't want to run out of money, going on the whole three percent rule, right? Mm. They used to do the whole four percent financially independent rule. That rule of that seventy-two, is, yeah, 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 yeah. That thing was wrong. Like even <laughs> twenty years ago, we questioned that as financial yeah. advisors, and we wanted it to, to be true. Mm. And you know, you look at it today, and people now know. I mean, even I think it was Bank of America came out and said, "Nope, it's three percent, not four. Mm. So when you go off of that, it's like whatever you save up per year is what you live on per year in the mutual fund world. But so different. When you come in this world of alternative investing, and it's all about cash flow, just like Kiyosaki teaches in Rich Dad yep. Poor Dad, when it comes about what what's the real income that you get, Correct. it's a very different world. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, I mean, a lot of the investments we look at, even passive investments, you know, like even if we buy a turnkey property, even though there's fewer of them available right now, there's still some out there. Mm-hmm. I can still make at least a ten percent cash on cash return. Correct. Meaning that if my down payment on that property is fifty thousand dollars, I should be cash flowing roughly at least. 420 to 450 bucks a month.
2: Correct.
3: Well, you just don't get that in the stock market. You know, when you're living on 3% instead of 10 to 12% with what I can get everywhere else, that's just it just doesn't compare. Not to mention I can get tax advantages differently and things like that. Yep. There's no comparison. Like you can actually retire faster and actually have a, a real hope of retirement. Yep. On that podcast, I look <laughs> for witnesses. I found an article about people that saved up money in the in their mutual funds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people that had about million and a half to $2 million Mm -hmm. every single case they were pretty much 70s or 80s Um, of the four case studies that they've shown um, only one was not worried about running out of money Mm -hmm. just one and that's because he was 84 years old thought he was going to die in a couple years Uh the rest of them that were like around 70 years old were still worried about running out of money because even with their lifestyle which was pretty frugal they were just worried about inflation if it was going to be enough The other thing that's interesting is that in every one of those cases, they did not build it up in the stock market alone. Mm -hmm. Exactly. The money came from other sources, and then they put it into their financial plan, and -hmm. that came later. Mm -hmm. So the problem is financial advisors say, no, the plan is right here inside these mutual funds. But even the most successful case studies in these retirement plans, the money didn't come from the mutual funds. It came from outside sources like inheritance or selling a portion of a business or something like that or selling a real estate property to then go and put in the market. Because even so if you
2: get into thing. an aggressive mutual fund, you know, you have the difference, moderate, conservative, and then aggressive. Mm-hmm. Even the most aggressive, I think the max you can get is like, what, 12%, 13% over the course of a year, right? That's really, that's mm-hmm. that's not a lot, right? You can take 12% and if you do, like I said, a real estate deal, you can make that within six months or less, yeah. right? With doing a flip or just coming in and say, I'll do transactional funding, and I'll give you $20,000 to close on this deal. Once it closes, you give me this money back. So there's a lot of ways yeah. that you can make way more money. And it's not even safe because again, with inflation. Where's the asset? Exactly. Where's the asset? Because if the mutual fund declines because of those businesses within the fund, what's going to happen, right?
3: So there's, yeah. there's no protection behind it. It's true. I mean, I compared the stock market like in 2018, You know, when I bought an investment property, you know, at the same time, I compared the S&P 500 to what my one of my properties I bought at that same time. And I said let's mm. compare. Let's see how the returns were. Stock market would have had about a 40% return when I did that analysis, you know. Mm-hmm. But my property did about a 300% return, you know. Mm. And that was just purely a turnkey rental. So I wasn't even managing the property. I wasn't I was completely hands off. You know, I didn't even renovate it. I didn't fix or flip it, you know. I didn't exactly. do anything. And you yeah. know in that case, yeah. you could do even better than that, you know, yeah. when you can actually control it and be more of an active investor. And add value to even as a passive investor i did way better than the stock market which had still boomed through 2022 correct Uh, that's the difference i mean that's Mm -hmm. the problem i see right now is that there's so many people that think that the traditional path works but it hasn't yet to work so why would you think it's going to work for you either i mean when you know better you do better
2: but majority of the population don't and so they continue to do the same thing that they learn in school the traditional you know methods of investing like get in a savings account, whether it be an online savings where you can get 4%, right? I think they look for safety realizing that it's not that safe in the long term now. So you touched on real estate. Obviously, if you were in a million dollars worth of debt before the recession, I'm assuming some of that had to do with real estate. Give us an idea or a background on how you were able to get out of a million dollars worth of debt in that amount of time.
3: Yeah, interesting thing is it was actually during the recession I went in over a million dollars in debt. So- Mm before the recession i was doing great financially independent like, as i mentioned right doing awesome and of course as anybody in their late 20s you know my ego starts to build up you know i start to get, get a little bit cocky you know a little bit overconfident and so i, I started thinking things like you know if you buy a $100,000 property and it makes you know say 10% you make 10,000 bucks but if i buy a $500,000 property it makes 10% i make 50,000 bucks so mm-hmm. should i be doing bigger properties and so I started taking high risks. I started banking on appreciation mm-hmm. rather than on cash flow. That's the number one thing. If I give you any advice, focus on cash flow, like profit of mm-hmm. that deal. Um, I started ignoring it. Sometimes there are negative cash flow properties, but I was saying, well, the appreciation will make up mm-hmm. for it. I know there's a lot of wholesalers and flippers right now that are going broke because they were able to get sloppy with their numbers thinking, well, appreciation will take care of me. So they're like, uh, it's not, it doesn't quite fit my buy box, but I'll do it anyways. And then they're like suffering the consequences because right. they can't sell and get their money out. And that's what happened to me a little bit too mm-hmm. um, during that period of time. And it wasn't just that. I mean, the funny thing is, is that even if I was debt-free, I would still have been in a cash crunch because mm-hmm. you know income was suffering. You know, and That was the big thing that's happened during that recession. So I had like this triple whammy. I started a new business. I was actually teaching people how to get out of the rat race. Only mm. to find myself back in it in 2007, 2008. So I was in the hole like 16000 a month with everything else was going on between business and personal. Mm. So I quickly went from millionaire to upside down millionaire, right? Mm. Like as I mentioned, like over a million dollars in debt. So to get out of it, um, I had to get real. Um, I had to really get my expenses under control. So I got lean and mean, that was Mm -hmm. the number one thing. I started tracking my money. I stopped tracking my money during good times. Mm -hmm. It's like air. You never really count the breaths you take until somebody takes the air away. And then (laughs) you count every single breath you can get money for me was that air. I was, I was, didn't have any. And so I had to get creative. I had to sell off assets, everything I had. In fact, um, I even foreclosed on my house because my Lehman Brothers mortgage, uh, they wouldn't accept any short sale offers. So eventually they just foreclosed on me. Mm. And uh, I actually got foreclosed on a week before my fourth child was born. Oh, so man! I had to negotiate with the new owner saying, hey, I know you bought it in cash. Can I pay you 2000 bucks to stay for two more weeks so we have this baby and find a place to live? Mm. And we did, we, we figured it out. But I had to get cash under control was one. Two is, you know, I started to really focus on income. I mean, that's the only way out. You can only cut expenses back so far. You got to focus on income too, right? Right. So the other half of that equation. So I started focusing on not so much just how to create a quick dollar. It was really more about how do I create value? Mm -hmm. Because the one thing I've learned that's always, always, no matter what the economic conditions are in the outside world, the one thing I can do to control my own economy is to find ways to create value for people because dollars follow value, right? more value you create for people, the more dollars you can create. So for example, I was trying to teach people how to get out of the rat race, Mm -hmm. but I'm one of those guys, I can't teach something I don't live. I just can't do it. I'm a horrible liar. (laughs) So that's why I don't play (laughs) poker, you know? (laughs) So instead, I started teaching people how to get resourceful, how to find the money. Many people Mm -hmm. were telling me that during the recession, they said, Chris, I'd love to pay you to figure out how to do this stuff and get creative with my money, but I just don't have the money to pay you. Yeah. And I'm thinking in my back of my mind, I wouldn't say this verbally, but in the back of my mind, I'd say, well, I'm flat broke. In fact, I'm, <laughs> I'm a million dollars more broke than the homeless guy on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet you I could find the money. <laughs> yeah. So I would tell him, I said, listen, if I can help you find the money to pay me, would you then hire me? Well, yeah, of course. And so I show him a little creative strategies. Uh, so like, for example, debt was one that a lot of people started to have. I have a mm-hmm. lot of because 2006 people thought the, the sky's the limit. It was like 2021, right? Exactly, yeah. And so they had a lot of debt that started to amass, especially as people were losing jobs and whatnot. And the one thing I got creative doing for my own situation was dealing with debt. Mm -hmm. And so instead of telling people to focus on interest rates or pay off lowest balances, I would tell them to use a formula I call the cash flow index. Mm -hmm. And what you do is you take the balance of a loan, of any individual loan, divided by the minimum monthly payment and you'll get a number, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in other words, the way I'm calculating this is basically like what's the highest ROI debt I can pay off, right? For mm-hmm. cash flow purposes. Well, I was looking for the one that had the lowest index. So mm-hmm. say, for example, say you have a $10,000 car car loan mm-hmm. that you're paying $500 a month on. But you also have <clears> a $10,000 credit card that you're paying $200 a month on. Mm-hmm. Now, good old Dave Ramsey, bless his Tennessee heart, uh, he'll uh, tell you, pay off like that, that credit card and chop yeah, it up, yeah. put in a block of ice, all that kind of crap, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is this, is that right. if you do use that index, you'll say $10,000 divided by the $200 credit card payment is a 50. Mm-hmm. But $10,000 divided by the $500 car loan payment is a 20. The lowest index you pay off first. Yeah. Even if it's the lowest interest rate, doesn't matter. We ignore the interest rate. Unless it's mm-hmm. a tiebreaker, then you use the interest rate as a tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. But when you look at that thing from a common sense standpoint, if all I have is $10,000, I had to pay off one or the other, and I'm hurting for cash flow, which almost anybody could be, especially if there's layoffs and things like that, you wanna get rid of that biggest payment.
4: Introducing Wondersuite from bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes, seriously.
3: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Correct. So it's going to give you the biggest ROI by mm-hmm. paying off that loan. So, and think about $10,000. Not many people can take $10,000 and make it, even in real estate, to make $500 a month off that, or $6,000. You can on occasions, but <laughs> most people won't do that. But you can get a guaranteed 60% rate of return on your money paying off that car loan. Mm-hmm. I remember I was onto something pretty interesting when... I was looking at this woman. She was just fresh out of college. She had some student loans. She had a credit card and she had her car loans. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at it. I said, here's what I would do. I'm like, I'm going to tell you to charge up your credit card with just your normal bills. Mm -hmm. Save up the $2,000 to pay off your car loan. Mm -hmm. And she's like, wait, you want me to charge up my credit card, $2,000 so then you can pay off the $2,000 car loan? I Mm said, yes, because you'll free up $240 a month doing that way even with the new credit card uh, so back to that what if the credit card interest is
2: higher than the interest on the card because i know people are thinking the same thing
3: oh yeah and that's the thing the interest really doesn't matter that much especially if you are trying to aggressively pay off these loans the interest really won't stack up against you that much now like i said as a tiebreaker if they were both the same index number Mm -hmm. great go for the highest interest rate i do that too But in her case, what it did is allowed her to stop being negative because I had another situation just like hers where they're in the hole about $400 a month, right? They were short $400 a month. A lot of that was actually overdraft fees because they couldn't quite time the paychecks, right? So they had like $200 a month of that $400 in overdraft fees. Well, once we figured out like which ones to pay off, pay off the right credit card versus the ones they were trying to pay off, we actually freed up the $400 a month so they weren't having all these bank draft fees all the time.
0: Ever thought to yourself, I wish I could get into real estate investing. You can change this as quickly or as slowly as you want to now. Imagine yourself networking and making new connections in real estate globally, or buying an investment property in a market or country that fits your needs. People do. They know what I'm talking about. And now you can too, with InvestFAR. Connect and join the network. Remote investing made safe and easy.
2: My question would be this. Say so you have a car payment that's $2,000 left mm-hmm. to pay it off. And then yeah. you have this free cash flow or this credit card over here. What if your payment on the car is 300 bucks, 2000 for 300 bucks a month? And the credit card is 2000 But what if your interest payment, if you run it up to the max on that credit card, obviously you have interest that kicks in. What's your thought behind that?
3: Yeah. What if it does? Well, think of it this way. That 300 bucks a month you just freed up from that car. Yeah. Couldn't you apply that to the credit card?
2: You can, but what if it might take longer to pay it down because you know the interest rate's a little higher and it accumulates?
3: It usually doesn't. I mean, that's the thing with simple interest. That's a great thing about credit cards. And also, when you pay down a credit card, as you pay down the balance, the minimum payment goes down. Correct. The thing is, you want flexibility. You want that freedom. Cash flow creates options. When you have options, there's freedom, right? So yeah, it's it's yeah, it's gonna have to charge more interest, but that's okay because you probably end up paying off within a year anyways. You know, with, with that, that money you're using.
2: The good thing about what you just said is. You can't do that with a car. With a car loan, you just got to make that payment. You can't get any utilization back. So, if you pay right. it off, you're able to use that 300 bucks to pay it on that credit card, you can still tap into that credit card once you made that $300 payment.
3: So, that's right. I like that. Yeah. And that's the thing is that I had one guy who was out in Manhattan, right? And he was in a really bad situation during the recession. I mean, he was very bad cash flow. He had a successful chiropractic practice, but he was just in a bad cash flow position. Mm. And basically, we, we did it where we were like moving money around, put on different credit cards, whatever would have the higher index. We would move mm-hmm. money that direction and pay off the lower index numbers. And we're just moving mm-hmm. money around. And he finally got mad at me. He said, like, Chris, all we're doing is just moving money around. <laughs> I said, well, think of this. You have no money. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you got money, you could pull out of your butt. I mean, this is literally it. I mean, this yeah. is what I got to work with. And, and by the way, we actually freed up 3000 bucks a month doing this. Mm-hmm. So he's like, yeah, you still have the same debt balance. Right. But you're no longer paying that extra 3000 a month, allowing you to tackle this debt better, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not, now he's not taking on new debt because he's such in negative cash flow position.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: I think that's the thing that people forget. Now, a lot of our clients, I mean, they don't even have much debt, if any at all. If anything, we have to tell them to use debt, right? Yeah. Yeah. But when someone has a lot of it, I mean, that's the thing is like when you really focus on what's that payment and be able to pay that down or pay it off, right? And there's different strategies for depending on the type of loan, too it really does make a big difference. And that was a big strategy for people. I have one doctor that freed up $6,000 a month doing that. The crazy thing is that the first month he freed that money up, they Mm. bought a $6,000 four-wheeler. You imagine like Dave Ramsey's reaction if that would have happened, right? He would have been (laughs) so pissed. But I knew it was for good because the guy was working six days a week in his Mm. practice trying to make ends meet. But freeing that $6,000 a month just took this huge weight off his shoulders, making him happier, you allow them to take more time off work. Not to mention, I've actually seen people that in business, especially have higher conversion rates because they're no longer stressed about money. Right. That's true. So therefore, when you're not stressed about money, you're not desperate for it. People actually say yes to you more often, which means your revenue increases in your business.
2: Your psychology and, happens- and your approach is different. Yeah. The people can feel that, you know, the pressure of you trying to oversell them or whatever the case is, right? It comes off. That's right.
3: Yeah. I call it so- business breath, right? When people are <laughs> desperate for money. <laughs> They just breathe all over you, like, And they're the ones throwing business cards at you so fast. You're like, I don't even know you. Why would I do business with you? In fact, I get it. I, I feel like I have to shower after talking to you, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. The cool thing is his wife said, you know what, Chris? We bought that $6,000 four-wheeler, but it's the best investment we've ever done because mm-hmm. he's now taking off Saturdays. I have the weekend with my husband. He's now taking that four-wheeler every weekend with our kids and creating memories with them. She's like, mm-hmm. Chris, not only did we get that $6,000 a month back, but we got our husband back. We got our father back and she just starts bawling she's like that is priceless to us yeah. and and now i actually see them on facebook man they're they're living la vida loca <laughs> it's awesome to see how they're doing you know 10 12 years later so then
2: i see we talked about real estate
3: we talked about debt robert kiyosaki is one of those people who
2: despises dave ramsey he has billions of dollars in debt i love debt as well i was a banker for 10 years i do real estate now so i love debt it depends on how you use yeah. it So I I saw you, you know, you have a different approach to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I would like to hear about. I want to see your
3: approach to what do you see differently about that? You know, I mean, both of them have truth, right? Mm -hmm. And often when you have two extremes, the truth can be found in the middle a lot Mm -hmm. of times. I mean, I definitely lean more towards what Kiyosaki would say. I think Mm -hmm. debt is good, but I have to understand if you are to use debt, it's not about whether debt's risky or not. It's really about you as that investor. Right. Who are you? Like, are you risky? Mm -hmm. Because if someone's a spender, like they're just going to blow money, debt is always a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Even someone who's just a penny pinching saver that feels like they can't let go of their money, debt just creates too much stress in life. But if you're a wise steward of your money, right? Just like if you go in the Bible, you know, the Bible talks about the parable of the talents, you know, the three stewards, the servants are given different sums of money, and the one that was given one buried it. Still paid it back. He was the Dave Ramsey fan, right? Mm -hmm. He buried his debt. They were all given debt. Think about it. Jesus talked about debt. Dave Ramsey loves (laughs) to quote the Bible saying, debt's evil. You know, the sinners use debt, you know? It's like, oh yeah, well, Jesus was talking about using debt all the time. So shut up, you know? Because those guys were in debt. And the ones that used it right, doubled their money, gave it to their master. He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, you've been a wise steward over a few things. I'll let you be a master over many and Mm -hmm. come into my kingdom, right? But the guy that paid off his debt didn't do anything with it, just paid it off. That was the one that got cast out. And mm. that money was given to the guy that had five and made 10. Yeah. So that's the thing is, are you a wise steward? If mm. so, great. Debt can be your best ally. Yeah. If not, it could be your worst enemy. And you have to be careful. And this has come from a guy that had similar experiences to Dave Ramsey. I went through the last recession. I got my butt kicked. I lost everything, right? I lost more than everything, you know? Mm. I went in the hole. And so I felt the same experiences that Dave Ramsey felt. I just didn't go bankrupt like he did, but I avoided bankruptcy. But I should have if I wanted to make it easier on myself versus yeah. trying to pay back all that money. Yeah. But still, I understood that debt can still be a great tool and mm-hmm. can be used if used wisely. Don't go putting it to Bitcoin or the stock marketplace where it's speculative and you have no control. But if you can take your debt, put it in a place where you have control over the influence of that investment. Whether it be like real estate, it could be your own business places where you can manipulate those returns and make them better and you have better control and more safety, that could be an amazing tool to get you there faster.
2: I'll talk about that because I'm a lender. If you can go out and buy a property, like a fix and flip loan, right? You've done real estate. Yeah. If you can go out there and get the rehab for hundred percent and then you only got to put 10 or 15% down to buy this property, get the money to rehab it, would that not be good debt, right? Yeah. That's how you use that. Dave Ramsey's, again, that's his approach to how he does things. But I think that's what all, all people do. If you go to the bank and you put 20% down and buy a property and you increase the value over time and you, you do a refinance in five to six years, you pull out that equity, that's another way of using debt. And you only put 20% down and you might own a $500,000 asset, right? That went that's to right. $700,000 or a million dollars. And so refinance, now you have, let's say, $250,000 tax-free because you use debt and you refinance. So I think there's different ways that
3: you can approach that, like you're saying. That's the key is if you have debt on it, just make sure that there's enough profit with that deal to more than cover the debt servicing on that, right?
2: Exactly. That's that's the key. The biggest issue, I think, is the debt servicing. I think people go into debt and they don't have the money to service it. And now it's debt is bad, but it's not bad. You just don't have the money to service it. So the best thing Mm -hmm. for you to do is before you go and get in debt, make sure you can service it. And if something comes up in the process, after you've already bought the loan, then you're gonna have to figure out, like you said, how can I cut this down? How can I trim this credit card? Or how can I pay this off to free up my cash flow to service this particular debt? That is that's good right. debt, right? So I, I think it's kind of what people should be looking at when it comes to, even if you get a credit card, my mentor took 10 credit cards, did a cash advance, bought a property, rehabbed it in 90 days, paid off the credit card, and he walked away with like $7,000 cash. Now that's yeah. how you use debt, right? Even if it's a credit yeah. card, you still do it like that. And it's funny because he did them. He had good credit. And you know, when you get those introductory periods where you have zero interest for 12 months, mm-hmm. that's free money. That's so right. even if it's debt, it's basically you getting free money. So I don't think people need to just look at debt like, oh, my God, it's so bad. Or, like, yeah, it's not bad.
3: You used it incorrectly. That's why it's bad. Right. And with inflation, if it's zero percent, you actually made money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that money got cheaper while you didn't pay anything on it, which is what the government does, which is why exactly. they know inflation will always have to be higher than whatever rates they're charging. On their loans, on their bonds, right? So exactly. That's the thing. Like they play the game too. I mean, the government. I'm not they saying they play it to a
2: the level, right? They have 32 trillion dollars worth of debt, and who's paying it off? We are.
3: <laughs> Nobody's paying it off. That's paying it off. That's right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> people, people, you think they're <laughs> like, I'm going to vote politicians will so pay off the debt? I have some news for you. Whether they're Republican or Democrats, they don't want to pay it off. Yeah, they don't. They already pay it off. know yeah, yeah, that yeah. they can keep inflation higher by printing yeah. more money. Make inflation higher than what their debt's interest rate is, they're making money. Right. And, and they're just going to say, well, no, why would I pay that off? I don't have an end date. I can just go forever. And you can learn something from that. I'm not saying that's the strategy you should take, but that's why some people say, what about my mortgage? I'm 60 years old. I just got a 30 year mortgage I cashed out refinance from. I'll be 90 when I pay this off. I said, Honestly, you might not even be alive when you pay off. Exactly. <laughs> and that's okay. As long <laughs> as, fun. again, you have more cash coming in than what that payment is, mm-hmm. you're free. You it can be matter. debt-free. And and I've been there before where you've been debt-free, but mm-hmm. if you don't have enough passive income coming in, you won't care. You will feel like you will be an asset-rich, broke correct. millionaire, right? Yeah, you really correct. will be. And I've seen so many people that have high net worth, but they're cash yeah. poor. They yeah. I t-
2: generally, I'm like that a lot. of not cash poor, but I tend to invest the majority of my money so then I have to sell something to buy something, right? Which is fine because yeah. if I have, you know, 10, 15 million worth of assets, it's not a big deal because I can always sell something if I really needed the cash to do something. So you keep thinking, you keep money available that you need for like paying bills or whatever the case is, but you try yes. to let those assets appreciate. So if you don't need to sit 100,000 or $200,000 in the bank, right? It's not doing anything. It's, you're actually losing money. So you're better off putting it into an asset that's going to appreciate, sell a portion of it, buy something and kind of do it like that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. My wife doesn't want me to touch $300,000 <laughs> $300, of our money. She's like, I want to keep at least 12 months of reserves just in case, mm-hmm. which of course that's a big opportunity cost. That's not making money. Exactly. So I actually diversified my savings where I have, you know, online savings account paying me like 3% and I got mm-hmm. tax on that 3%. Mm-hmm. But the bulk of my money, I keep inside my life insurance policies. Correct. You know, I keep it in there where I'm making five, 6% tax free. And that's an that entirely account. different vehicle that people have no idea how great that is. Yeah, the whole infinite banking type concept, Correct. right? Like The crazy thing is I'm not even lending from it. I'm just using it to diversify my savings. So I make exactly. more money on that money and I'm not getting killed by inflation as much with that emergency reserve. Universal life insurance. Or whole yeah, life. Yeah, I use whole One life. Yeah, everybody said say. Yep.
2: We're running out of time, man. So I do have a couple questions for you. Yeah. My last question, well, two questions. What advice, and I guess 30 seconds would you say would be the best thing for someone to pay off their debt, like you
3: just said, if you can give those two things you just did a few minutes ago, the score you said there's a score of uh twenty five. Yeah, the cash flow index. Correct. Yeah. Use the cash flow index. Take the balance divided by the payment. You get a number. The lowest number you pay off first, and then you do that whole debt roll down. You know the whole yeah. debt, you know snowball method, but do it by attacking the lowest number first. If you do that, and then you, when you get to above forty, you may not want to pay off your debt on those indexes. But if it's anything like forty and below? Just start attacking those. Pay those suckers off. I like it, man.
2: So last question, what would be the one or two books that you recommend?
3: So I don't like say the usual rich dad, poor dad book. I'm going to say one that's lesser known, which is called Thou Shall Prosper by Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Great book from more of a Jewish perspective of how they see money and why they have as a people have been like so prosperous financially really good stuff in there, whether you're a business owner, whether you're looking to be an investor, great advice. I even had it on my podcast last year. It was such a good interview. I had to break it up in two parts. It was so good. So <laughs> I'll tell you, like that's a great book to check out.
2: Mm. Like you said, everyone talks about Rich Dad Poor Dad, but I have never heard of that book. What's the author's name again?
3: Rabbi Daniel Lapin, as in okay. L-A-P-I-N.
2: Guys, that's a good book, man. I think you should check it out based on what he's saying. If it's better than Rich Dad Poor Dad, which I think is in like the top 15 best selling books of a good all one. time. Right. That's amazing. It's been like 30 years. So I think that's something I'll look into. But any advice that you would give the listeners
3: on what you think about approaching debt or getting out of debt and any other advice you have? Again, it always comes back to cash flow, right? Having more income than expenses. Most people just try to only reduce their expenses and try to live within their means. Mm -hmm. I would recommend expand your means. Find Mm -hmm. ways to increase income as well. Put your money to work. There's nothing worse than having your money in prison, as I call it. People mm-hmm. put their money in prison by putting it into the equity of their homes. They put it in prison by putting in their 401ks and lock them up there or IRAs. Mm-hmm. They put their money in prison almost anywhere a financial advisor tells you to put your money, it's mm-hmm. prison. You want your money instead to be free of those prisons and instead be working for you, creating cash flow right now. Mm-hmm. If there's any advice I can give you, especially if you want to be protected from potential layoffs, which I know we're going to see more of those as we go into the future, mm-hmm. layoffs and anything else, if you want more freedom and flexibility, The best thing you can do is have more passive income right now.
2: Yeah. That's one of the things that the narrative that's going around about finances doesn't talk about. I know banks obviously want people's money so they can lend it out. So they're going to guide you in the direction of putting your money in the bank so they can use it. So they're benefiting because they're obviously doing a spread between your money and what they have to pay the Federal Reserve. So don't give it to them. What you're saying makes complete sense. Any thoughts on that? The narrative?
3: Oh yeah. Banks take control of their own money. They create that spread between what they pay you and the savings account, which is debt, by the way. Mm-hmm. If you ever think about debt being stupid, well, guess what? Banks have more of it than anybody because they have way more than they actually lend out that they ever do having in actual assets. The debt that they actually pay though, the interest is your savings accounts and things like that. And then they turn around and lend it yeah. sometimes back to you at a higher rate. Exactly. Like, think about this. You never have a banker call you up and say, you know what? You've been a great client of ours for the last 20, 30 years, but we just watched the Dave Ramsey show and oh my gosh, do you know what that interest can cost us over our business lifetime? It's mm-hmm. horrible. So we're going to pay back all your savings because we hate paying interest to you. We're going to pay back all the savings accounts to you and you can just keep the money. Mm-hmm. And you'll say, well, I don't want the money. I like it earning interest. No, no, we, we hate it. We hate paying interest. We're going to go debt free now and we can yell freedom with great <laughs> heart music in the background when we call in the Dave Ramsey show. Yeah. Bankers don't do that, right? No. Because bankers understand that there are assets and there's liabilities. And more importantly, how much do those assets make them compared to what the liabilities cost them? And if right. it's bigger on the asset side and, and what it makes you, then over here, that's profit. Mm. And again, you got to be wiser than what the banks have done because some of them had to get bailed out in the last right. recession. But there are ways to be wise with your money, get it working for you now versus putting away for some day that you may never see.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Well, guys, you're getting advice from a financial advisor, well, anti-financial advisor, but he was one at one point in life. So what he has to say is obviously coming from experience, from being on both sides. So I hope you take note of what he said. His idea behind getting out of debt is amazing. I think that's a real good tool for anyone to use. That's actually what I did recently with paying off my car because I thought about the same thing that you said. It's a brilliant idea and it's a great way for you to allocate funds to something else that can start bringing you a return on your money. So you might have a dip in your savings for a short period of time, but you can turn around and maximize the funds that are coming in from not paying on that loan in a shorter amount of time. So guys, I hope you enjoyed Chris. Chris, thank you for coming on and hopefully we
3: can do it again. Love it, man. Let's do it. Sounds good.
5: Aren't you ready to start a business or grow your real estate investing portfolio? If you answered yes, allow Andre and the expert advisors at the Residual Roads Business Institute to fast track and put you on a path to full-time investing. The greatest transfer of wealth in our lifetime is occurring over the next few years and you can take advantage if you know what to look for. In order to be successful at real estate investing, you need to learn how to leverage your current resources to generate quick money, big money, and retirement money. Let Residual Roads advisors craft a plan to get you through these phases using little or no money in six months or less. Don't wait for a job. Create one for yourself and others. Go to residualroads.com for mentorship and for our free course. Go to residualroads.thinkific.com.
1: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've
0: gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office